Futurized goes beneath the trends to track the underlying forces of disruption in technology, policy, business models, social dynamics, and the environment. I'm your host, Trunane Unheim, futurist and author. In episode 107 of the podcast, the topic is the future of art and tech. Our guest is Ben Kovalis, co-founder and CMO at Art.ai. In this conversation, we talk about what it means to use artificial intelligence to create one-of-a-kind artworks generated entirely by computer algorithms. How and when did it evolve? Does it complement or change art? Is it any different from previous technologies used to innovate artistic expression? And what now? I also need to briefly disclose that I was gifted two AI-generated artworks in order to prepare for this, this episode. The feedback I get from those who see it is fascinating in itself. Before you do anything else, make sure you are subscribed to our newsletter on futurist.org. I hope you can also leave a positive review on iTunes or in your favorite podcast player. It really matters to the future of this podcast. Thanks so much. Let's begin. Ben, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you for asking. How about you, Trond? I'm doing fine. I'm excited to talk about art. I want to ask you very quickly, Ben, how did you get involved with art and technology? Okay, so I founded Art AI together with my two childhood friends, um, Guy Chaimovitz, uh, who was working for a well-known cybersecurity company uh, in Israel at the time, and Al Fisher who was in the process of completing his PhD in mathematical genomics in Cambridge University. And we were all big tech-savvy and really enthusiastic about art. So I've known Eyal since kindergarten, as early as I can remember myself, pretty much. And we always wanted to do something together. It wasn't new for us, and it was pretty typical for um, Israelis in our age group. Uh, it was kind of... Um, Starting your own startup was uh, kind of the dream. So uh, we were charmed by the potential of neural networks and we were bouncing ideas for a startup that involved neural networks. So tell, tell me about uh, uh, the portrait of Edmund Bellamy. So at October 2018, uh, the portrait of Edmund de Bellamy was sold for $432,000. Now, it was sold on Christie's and this is nothing special for Christie's. What was special about this specific sale is that it was the first ever portrait that was created completely by AI that was sold at an auction. And being a big tech savvy and also enthusiastic about art and very good friend uh, with Al Fisher, who is also the CEO of Art AI, uh, other than the fact that we were completely charmed by seeing that artificial intelligence can now create bespoke art, uh, it also raised a lot of questions for us, especially for Eyal, who was at the time completing his PhD in genomical mathematics in Cambridge University. And even though it was amazing that AI could create art, the artwork itself wasn't, let's say, very visually engaging. It was kind of pixelated, uh, to say the least. And Eyal believed that he could definitely create an algorithm with robust capabilities that should be able to not only generate, generate way more beautiful art, but to also do that in scale. And 
as we were bouncing ideas regarding opening up a startup that will somehow incorporate neural networks, it fell right on place. So Eyal had experience with image processing, but on the molecular level. And I had experience both in marketing and in sales. At the time, I was a VP of sales and marketing in high tech company uh, that was um, that was mainly focused on selling products online. So I told him that if he will be able to create such an algorithm that will create beautiful artworks, we will open up a company, we will open up a store, and we will start presenting them and selling them online. So after six months, we already had a running prototype. It is nowhere close to what we have today, but it was definitely good enough to present visually engaging artwork that we were willing to hang on our walls. And since then, uh, to our surprise, people caught up to the idea way faster than we anticipated. They understood what it was all about. They were amazed by it. And they started purchasing the product. Since then, we've been developing new algorithms and creating thousands and thousands of new artworks. Yeah, I'm curious about that because this this first AI art in the history of the world, I guess, was sold for $430,000 on an auction. But your approach is quite different. Yes. Um, so it was pretty clear to us that selling an artwork for $432,000 created by artificial intelligence, however amazing, uh, a lot of it was due to it being a really, really good PR story. Uh, nothing like that ever happened before. And Christie, Christie's, by, by the way, are known for their uh, approach on adopting new trends uh, quite quickly. They're usually the first. And we all saw that with the first uh, ever auction um, on an auction house of an NFT uh, that was featured by Christie's as well. And we understood that it is not likely that more artwork that are co- that cost more than $100,000 generated by an AI will ever be sold because it is possible to generate an infinite amount of them. And this contradicts the way that the public perceive art. You can always come up with new ideas and new concepts and you can make the technology better. And all of these factors will definitely contribute into an artwork with a, with a great value. It doesn't have to be a low-value artwork, but it is not going to reach the same numbers like the first ever artwork that was created by an AI that was sold. Hmm. Well, I find it interesting, you know, on, on, on many, many levels for sure. Um, I want to know... How first of all, let's just start quickly with how does an artwork created by an algorithm, uh, you know, look like? And 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 I've seen it, I, and I saw it this morning. I have actually picked out art, so I have a little idea about this. But you know, at the you know at the very basic, what what exactly is it that you do to generate a pretty typical artwork that's up on your site right now for people who might be interested? Yeah, that's probably my favorite question. So there are several levels of technology and creativity that are involved in the creation process. Uh, The most basic process utilizes principles that are based on Gantz, 
which stands for Generative Adversarial Network. Uh, and in this process, we train two different neural networks, each with its own role. So let's call the first neural network the critic. And this neural network, basically this AI, never creates actual art. Instead, it learns all about human art by receiving millions of art samples from us. And in this learning process, uh, after we feed, we feed a critic with millions of samples, um, pretty much from the past 1,500 years, um, for it to get inspired, by the way, it doesn't copy or paste anything. It simply gets inspired by it and learns the different artistic elements within it, very similarly to how a human learns about art. And the whole concept of neural networks is kind of trying to mimic the way that the human brain works, that's a, a tremendous overstatement, but this is what we're trying to do. And so, so the critic gets all of these different samples and start to learn to develop its own sense of uh, what art is. And at the same time, uh, we have the second neural network, the second AI, and we're going to call this AI the artist. And the artist's job is to create from scratch based on the formation of the weights that comprise its neural network, uh, which the weights are basically this classic image that we all think about when we speak about neural networks, a lot of circles that are connected by lines, and their, their composition is going to pretty much um, decide how the output of this artist AI is going to look like. So what happens is we feed the artist with a random seed, which is basically a huge sequence of numbers that go through this neural network. And in the beginning, there is not much tuning done. So this um, huge matrix of number is translated into a lot of blobs of colors that doesn't have a lot of artistic elements to them. And the artist AI job is to try and fool the critic AI make it think that it actually generates human art. So in every training ground, it gets sequence of numbers, it translates it into a, a visual image, uh, or actually it's, which can be translated into a visual image, and it sends it to the critic, and the critic tries to give it a score. It grades it from zero to one. And together with this newly generated artwork, the critic also gets a human-made artwork uh, that has a lot of artistic elements. And it grades both of them at the same time. So if it gives a really good grade for the human-made art and a really bad grade for the AI-made artwork, then it's done its job correctly. And the critic always trying to do just that. And this is, let's say, half a round, half, half, a, half a training round. After that happens, after the critic grades the art, the artist receives this grade, which in the beginning is going to be very, very low because it's just a blob of pixels and colors. So it's going to get something very close to zero, like 0 0.1, 0 0.05. And it's going to take the gap, the deviation between what it wanted to receive and what it actually received as input that it is going to back propagate to the neural network, basically changing the formation. So the next time it is going to create an artwork, it should be better in fooling the critic. 
And that happens for tens of thousands of times. But this is not the only thing that happens during this process because the critic being a neural network itself also backpropagates some of the information to its own neural network based on how far it was from grading the artwork correctly. So usually it's going to have no problem grading the human art with a very high grade, but as the artist gets better and better because of the inputs that it constantly receives from the critic, it is going to be better in fooling this critic and the critic suddenly starts giving it better and better grades. So whenever that happens, it's going to take the distance between the lowest possible grade and what it actually gave. And I'm oversimplifying everything here, but this is the general concept of how, of how general uh, generative adversarial networks work. Um, it's going to use that to become better in criticizing the artist. So the critic becomes better and better in criticizing the artist. The artist becomes better and better in fooling the critic until they reach um, a stage where we as humans can say, whoa, okay, the artist is making art that is so undistinguishable from human art that it just, even though unusual, looks just simply amazing. And that will be the first part, the most basic part, tip of the iceberg of what we're doing. And I guess that some of the listeners are familiar with how guns work. Uh, and after all of that is happening, uh, you're able to, to have an artist that can generate it and can receive countless new seed sequences and generate countless mesmerizing pieces of art. And you can generate more and more different artists that have different data as part of, the, of their training data. Therefore, they're going to be able to create different styles of art. And... Yeah, we- I have a bunch of questions, obviously, at this point. Um, w- one of the things that I had planned to ask you, which it seems like you kind of have answered, is... When do you stop the process? In other words, or, or when do these two competing algorithms decide that this is an optimum? I guess let's start there. So there's a diminishing return. Um, after a while, you get to a, into a stage where it is really hard for both of the AIs to, to change anything. It's kind of stagnation. And you see that even when changes occur, they are not contributing to how the actual visual output looks like. And, and, and you ha- that we have different methods to, uh, to understand exactly where we reach this stage, but it is also visible to the human eye. And it is possible to watch the training session as it goes. You watch a frame of the same seed, how it develops, and you kind of understand that you reach the limit. And the beautiful thing is, is that you can control this limit, but how good you, you are in in determining the type of data you want to use, in how good you are in cleaning the data, in how good you are streamlining the data into the algorithm. And there are a lot lot of smart ways and really elegant solutions into making this diminishing return kind of limit become higher and higher and higher. Hmm. One of the things that I think distinguishes art beyond, you know, the experience that the person has in front of the artwork is, of course, the implicit assumption that a great deal of human energy, even suffering, has gone into an artwork to express something heartfelt and real uh, and, and express it in a way that other people can understand. So there's an empathetic element in art. Um, 
right now, how much time does it take you to create an artwork? That's a complex question. So after you try, you're done with the training session and you have a complete algorithm, uh, it takes a very short time, less, less than a second. But creating a new piece of art is such a complex and huge process if you look at it from stage one, then arguably it takes even longer than what a human artist uh, will need to create an artwork from scratch. And I'll explain. So earlier I spoke about the beginning of the process, uh, which is collecting the data, cleaning the data, understanding it, feeding it into the algorithm for it to learn, wait for the training session to be completed, which requires huge computational power and a lot of time. And then you have an artist that can create new art that we think is very similar to human art. But that's not the end of the process. We also run these outputs, these new designs, to hundreds of thousands of different gallery visitors that are inspecting the hmm. art, they're liking the art, some of them purchasing the art, some of them adding them to the cart, some of them just stop and look on a specific piece of art. And we know how to translate their engagements, this data, into which type of art they like more, what type of art is more engaging. And we get hundreds of thousands of different indications that are later fed in a loop into the algorithm. So we always have new generations that we are training and we always use these new generations to, and we always aim these new generations to become more and more engaging. Because at this point, there is no other word to describe that. I don't know if it is more beautiful. I don't know if it is more calming. I know it is more engaging. It is more engaging because I know that people are more attracted to it because I know it's 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 encourages it's encouraging more sales. So we're using sentiments of hundreds of thousands of people into the creations of the new generations of art, and that also takes time and that takes a lot of effort. Maybe I myself don't suffer too much uh, as a part of this process. But, uh, you know, RTI is also a company and it took definitely uh, quite a lot of efforts to get it going. But uh, other than that, I can see kind of how the algorithm is just creating completely new, new artworks that even though I saw so many being generated, each and every generation is completely new than the one before it. And the beautiful thing is that we're no longer looking on the sentiment on, and the suffering of a specific artist. We're looking on the sentiment of basically the people that want to purchase this art, for, for, of the people that want to hang the art on their walls. And they're share, sharing some of the responsibility of how the final designs actually look like. And I guess that it's kind of subjective to compare that into the process of a single artist human being goes through when creating new type of art. But arguably, this process is somewhat even more human because it requires so many different people to take part in it. Hmm. Um, I noticed that you have not gone the route of a, a, a few other actors that I found on the market that actually are going full on with co-creation where you can kind of submit a picture yourself or a design and then you can, you can choose a visual of what an algorithm might do to your design and you can kind of co-create algorithmic art. Why, why have you gone 
in the in the direction of, I guess, near one hundred percent algorithmic art, with of course the the judgments of people as if whether they like it. But you have not gone the full way and said why don't people create their own art and then we have the algorithms enhance it. That's a great question, and my answer splits into two. So. I'll start with the second part, and then I'll move to the first part, and then I'll go back to the second part to try and create some suspense. We are doing that. We are working on that. And we are going to have an, avail an available um, interface that will allow that very soon. Um, now I'm going uh, back to what other actors are doing. And I believe that you're referring mostly to style transfer. Uh, which is a very interesting way to create mesmerizing artwork using AI. But uh, in, in the way that I see that, in my perspective, it is more similar to an Instagram filter or any type of other image processing filter uh, that you can use. And it is a bit more intricate. It is, it is a bit more complex, but at the end of the day, it takes user-generated content, an image that you probably upload from your cell phone or from your computer, and you adjust it and you modify it. It can create really, really cool stuff. But it doesn't actually create new art, novel art from scratch the way that we do. So when our algorithm is, cre is creating art, as I said before, it doesn't copy and paste anything. It develops for its own a sense of style without ever seeing anything, just based on inputs that it gets. And this helps you create completely unusual pieces of art. And Yeah, I was going to say, like, um, to be honest, I had expected as this morning, right, uh, I went through the, your gallery for the first time, I had expected it to be a little bit more obvious. Like I had expected to see a Van Gogh kind of style and to literally see you just making copies. So that would would have led me to a question being, you know, aren't these museums going to come after you and, and these, you know, historical painters, uh, you know, uh, owners going to come after you. But I don't see a lot of the pieces that, that I, I was browsing through this morning and I chose the Cubist kind of gallery for, for one or at least abstract art because I, I guess... I looked at a lot, and I and I chose one na nature piece actually. But then I started out with the with the cubist because my sense was okay, maybe maybe you'd be better at cubist art because you know after all it's it has to do with shapes and and stuff. But I was surprised that many of the pieces didn't really look like they were imitations, like not in a very obvious way. So how do you achieve that? That's a difficult question. Um, and I can say that, well, I am not the person that um, is the closest to the algorithm. Um, but I believe that even this, even this person is going to have a difficulty answering that because after the process becomes so long and so complex, you get results. And we see AI doing that in other fields. Um, you get results that you could not anticipate and and you could never really imagine before that. And and the fantastic thing, I guess, Ben, is this is the one field where I'm actually okay with you not having an answer to that question in the sense that in the same way that I would want to ask an artist everything about how they created it, I also feel like there's a limit to how much I really need to dig in 
to an artist's personality or process, at some point, you either like it and it gives something to you, it enriches you as a person or not. But explainability is, of course, a very, very big part of, of AI more generally. Do you think that you guys will eventually... Or, or maybe you know, commentators around you will eventually get closer to an explanation of what's happening. Or do you actually foresee that you will be experimenting so much at the forefront of these algorithms that you will never attempt to drill down as to why a certain painting, you know, ends up this way or the other, or artwork? I mean, so even at this point, some of the times we're able to understand some of the problems. So when you're training a new algorithm, sometimes um, you see an artifact and you want to understand why is this artifact here? Why am I seeing this and this and this in this particular place? And you go back and you understand, okay, so something was wrong with the data. So something was wrong with the timing. So we, we did something wrong and we go back, we fix it. Uh, we see if it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it does. And then you kind of understand that, okay, I probably detected the correct problem and it solved it. Or maybe I did something else and this, this solved it. I'm, I, I don't, I'm not even completely sure because there's a limit to how much information you can get. And with other things, like we had a period of time where the, the AI was generating um, really weird faces really scary faces. And that was completely because of what people liked. Uh, people saw regular portraits and people saw really weird portraits. And it makes sense that, well, if you, if you hang a picture on your wall, it's either be like a really vivid picture of yourself or someone that you like, or, but, but not just a stranger that you don't know, unless it's really unusual it really catches people's attention, and that usually comes with the really weird faces. So that was the... That's funny. You know, I was going to ask you about the faces. I actually opted away from the faces, and I opted away even from human bodies. I, I felt like there was something strange, but not positively strange for me in, 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 in the way that they were. But, I, but I'd noticed that they were also popular among many, many others. So this, this was just a personal choice. At this stage, for me, uh, it was not the, the human faces or bodies that appealed to me in, in, in the art collection. But, and I think some of it was uh, actually this uh, unfamiliar and, and eerie feeling of, of looking at sort of morphed faces that that just you know i mean i i probably wouldn't pick that uh, from a human artist either but it was interesting to me that i shied away from those and and i went more for for the abstract forms where it's less obvious that it is kind of a face looking at you yeah and i i can completely get that by the way i'm the i'm the other way around i completely oh, really? i completely understand those those that are taking the most unusual art and because yeah. uh, I myself, I'm very much attracted to the, to the mesmerizing, to the new type of art that is being generated. I'm completely shocked whenever a new version of the algorithm is there because it creates something that I never seen before. And yeah. a lot of it uh, can be um, explained by the way that a lot of people are presenting this art. So 
many times we're speaking about people that are into various types of art, the kind of, sometimes they're early adopters and they really want to check it out because they didn't hear about it before and they, then they see it for the first time. They want to see if this is actually real. And they get it. They really love it. They hang it next to existing pieces of art. And that could be very confusing to someone that doesn't know that AI art exists out there. And hmm. when, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. So when they present uh, this art to visitors, um, their system, and I know that because I try to speak with as many of our customers as I can, and I always hear the same story with, with slight variations. It's either they wait for them to notice the new, pieces, the new piece of art, and usually it happens because even if you don't know it was created by an AI, it's unusual. You see that it is unusual, it really attracts your attention. Or they, they take these visitors, they take these guests, they show them the art, hey, I have a new artwork, what do you think about it? And they start getting emotions, they'll start getting um, comments, they'll start getting questions, and people are, are, are trying to interpret um, the meaning behind the art. And then they, they reveal the truth. They tell them it was created by artificial intelligence. And this changes completely the way that you're looking at the artwork. So it makes, uh, it, it's one thing to have a weird face on a piece of art that was created by a human. You can think, okay, what made this artist create this weird face? Maybe it was sad, maybe it was trying to express something. And then when, when you understand an AI made it, it could scare you, it could surprise you, it will definitely evoke a lot of emotions. But um, the very fact that as, that as weird as it gets, the more intense uh, um, response it's going to trigger appeals to a lot of people. And I think that I am one of these people. Hmm. It is, I think, scary to some people to think that creativity, if that's what it is, is not an altogether human specialty. Partly because this has been the rescue for all arguments about don't be scared about computers and robots and whatnot, because people are sometimes, understandably, worried about what th this new future is going gonna, is gonna to bring, right? In the long term. This doesn't exactly help. No, <laughs> no, it doesn't exactly help. But, but I think that you touched, you touched the main point here. Um, so we're trying to tell people, don't be scared of AI, don't be scared of computers. But are we continuing this statement or are we stopping there? Because if someone is afraid of what artificial intelligence could do to us in the future, if someone kind of less about it, but also kind of seriously frightened about machines doing unimaginable and bad stuff in the future. Many, many times it comes because of a lack of knowledge. And that's understandable to me. Because obviously, when you're so close to the field of AI, you understand how AI works, you understand how machine learning works, you understand where we're at, and what probably we're going to be able to achieve in the future, you have way more security. And you know very well that using guns to create art and having machine takes over the world is very, very, very far away from each other. But if you're not aware of how it works, and out of thin air, you go from self-driving car 
cars to an algorithm that creates a creative piece of art that you've never seen before, it might be a bit scary for you. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, let's talk a little bit about the market because you, you know, you you mentioned uh, earlier that the initial piece sold for four hundred thirty thousand. You opted for a very different price point. But if you look at this as an investment, what do you think will happen to the first pieces you made, the first one hundred pieces you made, or the first one thousand pieces, or you know? How do you think about the value of what you are creating beyond the fact that you're, of course, selling these things, so there's a value in just selling it, but artwork over time typically has a value. Some of it not so much, but it you know, might retain its value or it might actually sort of not have a value at all because there's really not a market for it, meaning you can't resell it. So in that way, it you know, any artwork that you buy could have a personal meaning, but it doesn't make any sense to say that this artwork has a financial value because it has never been transacted, never tested. What do you think is going to happen? Are these pieces going to be in circulation or are they explicitly not really going to be in circulation? They're definitely going to be in circulation. And I know that because we're already getting approached asking about specific pieces. And the main problem that... Are you keeping them on the lo- online so that you can see past pieces yes, as well? Yes, yes. We have our sold yeah. artwork collection on the site and you're able to see all of the artworks that were purchased before. Um, you're going to have a hard time going over all of them as there are several thousands of them, but um, everything is out there. And some of the questions are more typical than others. Like, what was the first AI artwork that was ever created? Well, this one is... Oh, at my house. Um, it's not the, the best possible quality, but it's in my house. And some of them are asking, what, what will be the way for me to get the oldest available artwork? And many people are asking about specific pieces of art. And what we do, what, what we're doing until now is we are connecting the two buyers with each other and we let them and make a deal together, basically found a price that they're both willing to go for and complete the transaction. And what and we are involved simply in transferring the certificate of authenticity name. So every time that you get an artwork for yourself, you get a certificate of authenticity uh, that is on the blockchain. So, you know, it's, it's not, not something that anyone can forge. And we transfer the certificate from one person to another. But very, very soon we will have a platform that will enable to make this transition um, way faster. And other than that, of course, when you're creating countless artworks, basically infinite artworks, it is going to be difficult to give value to one piece of art and um, a, a higher value to a different piece of art other than really liking the design. But when we are using different generation of algorithms and when you're putting some of the algorithms to rest, you're not using them anymore, you're improving the technology, then you are creating a finite situation which you can simply get this many artworks and that's it. And if you want to go back, you're going to have to um, to understand that the value is higher. So can we talk in a little bit in specifics? I know you you saw what I got this morning. Um, you know, either we can talk about those two pieces or one of them or or even just... Give me a sense of 
uh, let's just pick one of the ones that I had picked. What was the algorithm that created it? How, how many do you think you created of that? And, and when is it likely to get retired as an algorithm? I, I don't know if you have the information there, but if not, you know, you'd, you can just sort of give me, uh, give me a sense of, of what an average piece would, would look like in that regard. Like how, how many pieces were made with that particular algorithm? Yeah. You know, or maybe on average. Yeah, so I'm opening up um, your specific uh, artworks as we speak right now. And that's definitely going to be interesting to see because it is possible that the algorithm responsible for generating them is already retired. Uh, so you might be in luck. Uh, all right. So one of them was Parallel of Joy. And just a quick second, sorry for this delay. No, that's entirely, it's just extremely interesting to, to reason, but knowing that I actually have a stake in the answer. Uh, indeed, so, so yeah, so Parallel of Joy was created by Compounder, uh, which is one of the 14 AI artists available on the site right now. And uh, Compounder is being retired because then it, 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 we already developed a new generation of the algorithm and we're not going to uh, introduce uh, many new pieces of Compounder. We already have um, pieces that Compounder created. And just to be completely clear, Compounder is the name of one of the algorithms and uh, it has a specific style, more into nature, as you mentioned. And... Uh, even though we have a uh, queued artworks that were made by Compounder that will be uploaded within um, the probably next one or two weeks, uh, we are not going to introduce more of them because the new version of the algorithm uh, um, is is completely different. It's it's fascinating. So you are actually retiring it, meaning it, it, there will be a generation of paintings that. And and how different are the others? I mean, I did I did browse actually that particular algorithm. I actually ended up discovering that I sort of liked that algorithm, so I browsed a few of them. Uh, so I think the answer was uh, I don't have it in front of me now, but there there were some there were some paintings on there. It was not thousands though, created by just one, or at least not that I could see. Maybe they were sold already. Yes. Yeah, so, how many algorithms? You know, how many uh, paintings does each algorithm currently produce for you before you think about improving them or retiring them? So, um, the fourteen AI, AI artists that we have on site right now um, are responsible for all of almost almost all of the artworks that were that were ever sold. So um, most of them are already sold and they can be found in the sold collection. And we're speaking about several thousands of artworks um, for each. But we anticipate, and this is going to be hard to manage, but because the algorithm is getting better and we are now able to train really, really specific AI artists and we are going to have a lot of them, um, way more than 14 and at the, at the rate that the, that the technology improves, we're probably going to retire AI artists way sooner. And some of them maybe even after several hundreds of artworks. And maybe this is simply the way to go. And maybe 
people are thirsty for constantly renewable type of art and maybe we we maybe this is something that we should explore maybe we should kind of introduce new AI artists way more often that, that, that we're used to. And the actual number of how many live AI artists we can have at the time, um, as this was never something that attempted before, there's no like written, written science or what is the best way to go, we're going to have to find out. You know, what, what, what one observation I had this morning, and I'm having it now again as we're, think, uh, you know, as we're talking about this, was... I sort of missed one thing, uh, which I enjoy about art, which is the the name behind it. So when I did discover that the algorithm has a name, I was very excited. But I think the more context, in the same way that if you pay, play a Sega computer game that is a ancient, you know, then you're like, okay, so this was created, and I, I know who created it because this person is famous. Right or or you know Super Mario Brothers whatever it is you know a legacy computer game you start caring about the process of creation even if it was a computer game. I'm just wondering if it's the same logic that that starts to appear here that I will have a hunger if I like this art and I keep looking at it on the wall. I will want to know more about the algorithm, maybe about your friend who developed the algorithm. I don't know exactly what my uh, you know, desires are going to be to to sort of dig into the creation of my piece. But have you have you had this kind of interest from people who bought your artwork? Definitely, huge interest, and we can see that by the reviews that we're getting, and we can especially see that on social media. People are really, really into the lore. I will call it lore behind the art and behind the technology, and we have active fans of specific AI artists that are speaking about new creations whenever they come out. And sometimes they're fighting with each other if someone else got the design that they wanted to get for themselves. Could you resurrect uh, my compounded after five years if, if there was the desire? Um, so it is possible to do that technologically speaking, I guess. It will require some efforts, but but are you saving are you saving these algorithms for posterity or not so the system is we didn't build we didn't design the system um, specifically to save them for later um, technically it will probably be possible to kind of reverse engineer um, but this because I'm sort of thinking that both would be a statement. If you said we are going to throw away the files, that's a statement. If you said we are going to preserve them for legacy and put them in a museum, that would also be a statement. Yeah, so it depends if you're speaking about the artworks, the designs, the output itself, or the actual algorithm. No, no, I'm speaking about the algorithms. Yeah, the algorithms creating yeah, it. So technically, I guess it will be possible, but we don't have the intention to do that. Um, neither because it doesn't make sense for us uh, as we need to decide whether we are putting our efforts into making new type of technology or resurrecting old technology. And on the other hand, people that are purchasing these artwork, they, they understand um, one thing um, and that, that is, we understand one thing that is very important for them is the fact that they are unique. They are one of a kind. And this is something that we see connect so well with the world of art. 
And there is a very good reason why artwork that are no longer available because maybe the artist is no longer with us um, are increasing in value. And once someone buys a piece of art, we owe this customer, we owe this collector uh, as part of, of our integrity as an art gallery um, to allow this appreciation in value. So we don't intend to resurrect previous artists. And I guess that if we decide that we do, it will definitely not be to sell new type of art, but maybe to present an art piece in a museum. Can we talk a tiny bit about the market aspects here? Because art, of course, is its own category, which speaks about the human experience. That is historically what it has been. It teaches us something about ourselves, where we have been, where we're going. There's the presumption that the artist has some sort of insight into, or at least can help us access our own emotions and history. Now, there's also a decorative aspect of art, and there's always been. Um, how is that playing out with this kind of art? Do you have relationships with uh, interior architects? Do you uh, compete in any way with sort of these larger art marketplaces, you know, art.com, these, you know, Saatchi at a little higher level, but uh, definitely these marketplaces sell an enormous amount of art. Some of it is decorative and it purely goes into you have a new house, you have a new room, you want to style, and you style it. So you're not so concerned with the individual art pieces, depending on your budget, but you're, you're, you're concerned with the decorative aspects of it and what it evokes more generally beyond one piece. How are you thinking about that aspect? Wow, that's a huge question. Um, you, asked, you asked one question, but you kind of asked seven different questions. So I'm going to start by <laughs> trying to end the suspense that I created in uh, one of your first questions about what we're doing uh, um, um, that is similar or kind of as an answer to the other actors in the market that allow you to, to use user-generated content. And I'm saying that right now because it really connects to the world of home decor. And we understand not only because this is a trend that is very obvious to everyone right now, personalization is important, being involved is important. We also know that because we receive this question over and over and over again, it is great to be able to see an array of different designs from an existing gallery. But will I be able to use the AI to create new type of art? And the answer is yes. And this is what we're working on these days. And it's really very, very, very close to being prepared. You, as a collector, going to go online, you're going to take a questionnaire, a type of quiz that... Uh, with the purpose of understanding your own taste in art, your sense of creativity, what type of artistic element speaks to you more. And this questionnaire is designed to get your unique, your specific preference as quick and as easily as possible. And once you're done, the system is going to generate, the AI is going to generate completely new art according to your taste. And after you receive the different type, the different, the different feed of different designs, you're going to tune it further. You're going to tell the algorithm which artwork you like more than others. And while you're picking your favorite artworks, the feed is going to change and adjust according to your preference until you reach kind of the perfect work of art, something that is somehow user-generated, even though it is completely from scratch, 
and it is dependent on what you like. And we like to say that the perfect piece of art doesn't exist yet. And I, I do think that it is true. It doesn't exist because, well, it's so subjective. But if you get the chance to be in front of it and work together with it, work together with this AI, basically working together with yourself until you're getting to the point, you get one heck of a decorative piece. Not only that you are a part of this process, not only that you're using an amazing new tool to create this piece of art that has a mesmerizing story behind it, it is exactly what you want it to look like. It is exactly what mi- what is missing to your specific space that you're trying to brighten up right now. So that's one of the things that we're going to do. And that's one of the answers of how to work in this market with other giants, such as Art.com, Fine Art America, and that, that, are, that are marketplaces that feature different designs that are created by different artists. And... Um, even though they're not their own designs, because they're so huge, and even though they have to split the profits with the artists that they're working with, and they cannot offer exclusivity, they are still able to offer really, really low prices. But you have to go for mass-produced designs. You can't go for exclusivity. On the other hand, you have such art gallery, which present original artwork, but again, by different artists, and... Because of that, you're going to have to pay a lot of money, probably within thousands of dollars or even more for a single artwork to get to your to your doorstep. And but Ben, I have a question. Yeah. Uh, so your pricing strategy right now, and I'm 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 actually on on your site right now, and I can see, and I recall also from this morning, it starts you know sort of around like fifty nine dollars, and it goes up to like a hundred and. Fifty something dollars. That those are the uh, the ranges depending on on the sizes that you guys have have opted for. But isn't there eventually a high end play here as well, where you can say, well, if you truly want something special, if you want us as a team to interact with you in all kinds of advanced ways, or if you want us to customize an algorithm purely for you, it, I mean, I'm just it's just interesting to me. So you sort of think of this as a mass market customized art but is there not a high-end version of this market that's maybe not you but some other actors will take i just i just think of you know throughout history how enormously coveted some very few artists have become and and if you're saying, and I'm, my question, I guess, is a little bit about looking at the next decade and, and beyond. If you sort of are saying that there will always be the possibility to keep improving the algorithm, to make massive numbers of pieces, even if it is customized to an individual, then essentially you are changing art. If your process becomes dominant, you are changing it the, almost the entire logic behind art unless there's something in art that sort of will revert to this exclusivity principle which after all has governed art for millennia do you have any idea what's going to happen in this market i think i have an idea what's going to happen in this market uh it's like no no one can predict the future but i can look at the past and art has been part 
of humanity since point one. We know about cave drawings, they exist. It's mind-blowing, it was there, and art has developed since then. Uh, we teach our algorithm about art from the, past, from the past 1,500 years, but we had art before that, and we're going to have art way later on. And um, The fact that you can add another layer to the process, the fact that you can add another option, is great. It is amazing. It is also a part of the human nature to find more solutions and to provide more options. And looking at how how we as tech people consume and how we as tech people learn new stuff, um, the, the number of things that you're being exposed to in each passing year gets, uh, gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And the, the tolerance that you have towards new things also expands. But you don't forget about the older things. You don't forget about your older Saga game, about your Super Mario game. And actually, it's still going to have a warmer place in your heart. And maybe even warmer because there are so many other things, but they cannot change what you feel towards Super, Ma- Super Mario. And I can understand you because I feel the same towards Super Mario. But um, this, this thing... Could, could definitely be taken to the world of art. And some say uh, that it, because you're providing this option, then some people will address this option other than the usual getting an artwork from a human being. And some will say that this is going to expose more people that were, ne- that were not interested in art before to be interested in art because the origin of this technological piece based on human art. And if you want to get involved, if if you want to be a bigger part of it, you need to learn, you need to understand, you need to kind of make the comparison. So yes, it brings a new layer, it introduces a new thing, but I definitely see it as something that enhances what we have, what we have today as human art, as human art, definitely not replacing it. Hmm. So has the reaction in the traditional art world after the Christie's, uh, you know, experiment, what, what has the reaction been uh, among the rest of the establishment? Would you say are you are you following that at all? Do you do you have are you in touch with the traditional art world world in that uh, regard? Is there any interest from galleries in this business? Yes. So getting into galleries and working with artists are two different things, and um, so. With galleries, it completely depends on kind of the nature of the gallery. We were presenting some of our artworks in different galleries, mostly to charity. And some of it is to understand how people are going to react to AI-generated art. Um, And some of it is simply to see if people are willing to buy AI-generated art as well as they're willing to buy human-created art. By the way, the answer is yes. And it very much depended on how engaging these artworks are. And if we choose more engaging artworks and we have ways to, to identify them, they're going to have a better chance in uh, getting purchased in galleries. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's for profit or if it is for, for charity. And um, so, so the way that, that we're creating this art um, makes a difference for, for this specifically. Well, as we're rounding off, I, I just wanted to to sort of acknowledge that this history of art has always had new technologies, right? So I, I guess that was your point earlier, that this is just one more layer. I mean, uh, 
every new artist that tried either with their paradigm or with the medium that they were using or even just you know a different stroke of of their paintbrush it it has created tension um so i guess my my last question to you is sort of when do you think ai art will be ai generated art will be mainstream and will not be the newest thing on the block Okay, so you kind of gave it a twist with, uh, with uh, the last thing on the block. And you know what? I guess you're right. It, it cannot remain this way forever. And I think that it is going to become mainstream within the next few years. And I know that because digital artists um, are completely on top of things. They know what's going on, technologically speaking. A lot of them are tech-savvy themselves. And they are a part of a very difficult challenging and saturated market. And one of the things that I'm excited about the most is that we are actually giving them a chance to use a new tool that right now is not mainstream yet. And if they become pioneers, if they learn how to master it quicker than others, they allow themselves an advantage that will allow them to expose themselves faster than thousands of other digital artists that are in there for years and years and years kind of flipping it around and make, making, making new digital artists that are very talented competitive again. So I think that they are going to be a big part of the reason for this to become mainstream within the next few years because this is simply the way this market works. And I do believe that after everyone are going to become more familiar with the possibility to use AI to generate art, we will probably... Um, just be able to to see a new type of technology or a new type of thing that is going to affect the art market that at this point I cannot even imagine because if I could I would probably need to open up another company hmm I guess I I had promised this was the last question but it everything you know you say just opens up another question in my mind I, I'm now just curious well, beyond the AI aspect, there are so many other things that uh, that I'm wondering, uh, you know, around this. So the artists, for example, I mean, how how unique is the algorithm part versus the business model part versus the the network of artists that you're also, I guess, building? So, you know, you just said these uh, digital artists are already very clever. Is it conceivable that everyone as an individual, could develop their own algorithmic platforms? I mean, would you facilitate that? Would others facilitate that? Or is this always going to be something where, um, like other tech, tech companies, you, you're going to have to build a, a crack team to stay at the forefront of this because these algorithms will, you know, will, will always, you know, the market is always going to um, reward the actor with the most advanced algorithms and so it goes without saying that you either you have to have a skill either you are the best artist applying the algorithms best or you are the best technological environment startup or institution who has the resources you know i mean if you think about the age of quantum computers that opens up a whole other realm of algorithms um so i'm just thinking as as you're thinking about new generations of technology is it possible to remain a creator in this new economy or is this 
the merger of technology and creation to the extent that it's going to be a basically a platform uh, only for the initiated, the, the few that have the access to these very advanced and latest sort of algorithmic tools and, and I guess, uh, the, the technologies to, to make them happen. So it is possible to become a creator um, because this type of technology allows a lot of flexibility, a lot of different styles that mm. will be distinguished from each other. But scale is a question here. Because if you're a creator yourself and you don't have a robust infrastructure, that was probably the hardest part of establishing art AI. They're all behind the scenes infrastructure. Then you're going to have to work very, very hard to develop something that will be distinguished, but is not going to allow you too much room for, for creativity. Uh, it's not going to allow you scale. And because we are not the first people to use guns, to incorporate guns in a way to create art. Um, so the portrait of Edmond de Berlemi was some, in some way dependent on guns as well. Of course, the technology that we're using today is way more developed. But we didn't invent um, this, uh, this, this family of algorithms. Uh, we did invent a lot of additional layers that comes on top of it. And the, the, to be able to create a huge variety very much depends on the community that you have, on the input that you have from actual humans that you're working with. And that gives me a chance to revisit one of your previous questions about our strategy and why we're presenting um, these type of prices. And because what we want to do is we want to, to democratize this world of one-of-a-kind artworks. And because when we're doing that, we get to approach so many people that were never approached before. And now we can use their opinion and we can use the information that they really want to give, they really want to contribute to generate really, really, really cool and varied selection type of designs. And as long as you're focused on the community part, as well as on the technological part, you will be able to continue and bring new things. If you're only about the technology, you, you're not, you don't even know and one day you wake up and you, you reach the stagnation or you made a change that no one even understands to be a change. So keeping this balance, it's super difficult, but also very, very important if you want to keep new things coming up all of the time. Ben, I... I'm going to have to stop it here because I just keep generating new questions. I, I guess I'm like an AI. I, I, I want to just uh, criticize and uh, and uh, you know spin on your observations. So, so I'm thank the, you I'm so the much. In it's this, been uh, wonderful. You're saying this discussion. Yes, exactly. <laughs> have a wonderful day, and I thank you very much for engaging on the show. Thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure. You have just listened to episode 107 of the Futurized podcast with host Trunar Nivenheim, futurist and author. The topic was the future of art and tech. In this conversation, we talked about using AI to create art. My takeaway is that art and tech have always been linked together by creative artists. Is there a difference when AI gets used in each stage of the artistic process and arguably somewhat independently of human hands? How important is the medium in conveying a message? And how can technology and artistry rise above the technology itself if technology gets more and more autonomous? What would happen if society invests as much in AI art 
as in AI for social media or AI for industrial production? These questions are not resolved, but are intriguing to ponder as we enter this puzzling decade. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at futurize.org or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. If you like this topic, you may enjoy other episodes of Futurized, such as episode 101, The Future of Consciousness, episode 68 on industrial-grade mixed reality, or episode 79, Futuristic AI. Futurized, preparing you to deal with disruption.